I don't know about you, but every time I sing that song uh, with you guys, the hair on the back of my neck just kind of stands up. There's just something very moving about the imagery. Am I the only one that has that effect whenever whenever you're doing that? Isn't that cool? But what, what I like about it so much is it's so powerful. Whenever you're singing it, you feel like you can actually move mountains. <laughs> you feel like you can take on the world. You, you get the sense that no matter what it is I'm facing, uh, if I just have that, that sense of what I'm feeling right now, I know that I can overcome. But something happens to take that away. And you know what that is? Monday morning. Monday morning you wake up and you're definitely not in that state where you're singing with the rest of the group here uh, this awesome song, you're just thinking, I need a little bit of caffeine so I can just start my day and begin to tackle all the problems in front of me. And sometimes between uh, that experience on Monday and then resuming uh, the experience that we have here in worship the next Sunday, uh, things sometimes get a little bit off track. Do you know why that is? It's because the vision that we have here the minute that we walk out of here, begins to leak. It begins to disappear. And the reason why we habitually come to worship every week is for, for that simple fact. That the way God inspires us in worship doesn't always stay with us uh, through the course of every moment, of every waking hour, of the times in between uh, we meet for worship. And God gets that. And God understands that our lives really are very much vision-oriented. We make plans. We have goals. We have things that we put on our calendar that are in front of us that we have yet to accomplish. And all of that, uh, as it unfolds, needs periodic friendly reminders that we shouldn't forget why we're doing what we're doing. Now, this message series we've been doing on Caleb is getting ready to conclude today. And in the process, I want you to understand something very clearly about Caleb's uh, journey as he's tried to follow God's plan for taking a group of people out of slavery in Egypt and all the oppressive forces that they experienced uh, in that place to a place where they can have really complete freedom within the boundaries of everything godly and moral and ethical to do pretty much whatever they want in a land that God's going to call them to live in. And while that sounds very good and very promising, for some reason the critical mass of the people that were called out of Egypt didn't have what it took to stay true to the course, to stay faithful to the vision. And along the way, to varying degrees, they just began to give up. They began to lose heart, but particularly the vision of what God had did for them back in Egypt started to fade. Oh yeah, he did deliver us from a mighty oppressor. Oh yeah, he did lead us through a body of water like no one has ever done before. Oh yeah, he did provide for us when we landed on the desert shore. And on and on. All of a sudden, all that stuff is just a distant memory. And it's just not really relevant in the moment. But if you're going to do anything worthwhile, you kind of have to remember where you've been and maybe even the pain associated with where you've been. And then you have to think about what it is that is in front of you regarding where you're going and whether or not what is in front of you is actually going to happen. Now, we can't predict 
our lives, the number of days that we have. But we can, with hopefully increasing degrees of confidence, trust that if God has promised that he's going to make everything right, if we trust him through his son to do so and ultimately land us at a destination where the promised land is only just an illustration of so much more that God has in store for you and I. If we can keep that memory and that hope alive in our lives, then we can carry on through the course of each day. And it may even apply just to your salvation and mine. Yeah, I'm saved. I've gone to church. I get to know God a little bit, but all of a sudden we get kind of comfortable and we sort of begin to make our own way without reference to God. And then pretty soon the vision of what we came out of in the past no longer really carries us into a hopeful future. How is it that we sustain ourselves along the way? If you have your message notes with you, uh, there's a little surprising fact, if you, if you haven't been made aware of it yet, that I just want to bring, uh, bring, bring before your, your mind for a second. And that is, um, Caleb had a responsibility to hang tight with God's plan. And God wanted all of the people to take part in this wonderful inheritance. But he also knew that they had to have a stake in the process in order to appreciate the value of what they've been given. Uh, Let let me just illustrate this briefly. When I was in high school, there was another student whose father was really into muscle cars. And he had a classic 1970 GTX that he gave to his 16-year-old son. It was a Freudian slip because he had the mentality of a person only at a maturity of six. He gave this car to his son. It was absolutely beautiful. And it was restored completely. And I'm sure his dad labored over this car to give it to his son on the day that he was able to get his driver's license. And the son got the car and he started just driving it recklessly. And we were watching this unfold like a slow-moving train wreck. This son has no idea what he's been given. He's driving this thing like, um, uh, like it's a 1971 Ford Pinto. And it would appear that there's a disconnect between the value of what he's been given and his appreciation for what uh, it took for him to, to receive that. And sure enough, about a month later, we heard that the kid had hit the, car, hit the telephone pole with the car. Now, he survived, but the car was destroyed. And it was, his response was classic. He's like, oh, well, my dad will get me another one. And we're just looking at him like, really? Do you not have a clue what's going on here? Now, I think his dad did get him another one. And I believe he abused that vehicle as well. But if that kid had spent the amount of time that his father had invested in restoring this car, I have a feeling it would have been a different outcome. But that car may even still be in existence. That car would probably be in his garage. That car could actually probably, if it were sold, put at least one or two children through college. And yet... We're all kind of like that. If we don't have some kind of investment in the process of the thing that we have been given, we're really not going to understand the value of what's behind the gift. 
Caleb had a rich understanding of that value, but most of the people that were taken up out of Egypt, somewhere along the way, they had lost it. And I believe that in our Christian walk, God takes us where we're at, and he wants to move us to a place where we're not, making us more like Christ in our character along the way. And he's going to allow us to go through various struggles in life. So those struggles will require us to trust him in each and every one of them as they come up. And as they do, if we ask him to participate in the process, he's going to help us grow in each and every one of them. I don't enjoy watching my kids struggle. I want to, if I see him do something, I want to go in and rescue him. Anybody else have that impulse whenever you see your kid kind of struggling? It's just natural, isn't it? My kids will tell you when something comes their way. They're here today, so they know I'm not lying. Uh, sometimes I just say, work it out, right? And they have to work it out. And they're looking at me like, aren't you going to help? I'm like, I can, but I'm not. I'm going to be watching, and if you guys are getting ready to go off the cliff, I'm going to make sure you don't go off the cliff. But my goal is to have you work through this so that you can appreciate the things that God is wanting to develop in you. And you're going to earn them because that's what he does for all of us. Now, Caleb understood God well enough to know that this is how God works. And I think a lot of times our understanding of God may be flawed so we don't really clearly know what he's up to. But it's pretty clear in scripture that when we're in this world, we're going to have trials. Jesus said that himself. And when we look at the storyline unfold with the church, we see there are all kinds of struggles that they went through. And God allowed it. And he allowed it so that they could lean on him more and more and more. Because he had bigger challenges in store for the church, which meant they were going to gain bigger kingdom ground so that they would be mentally in the frame of mind that they needed to be in when that responsibility would descend upon them, they'd be ready. You know what's so hard about that concept? Is nobody really talks about it. If you're If you're around educators and education, you know that a lot of talk is about intelligence. A lot of the testing is about IQ. A lot of the talk is about talent and ability, maybe differentiation. But did you know that um, there are some people who are evaluating this whole process, and they said, interestingly enough, the people that we surveyed in different surveys uh, relative to Um, institutions like West Point, institutions like the University of Pennsylvania, and others, they they look at the the time that these students are there, the trials that they face, their intelligence profile, and then they do an interview on the other side of it as they've completed or not completed what they said they wanted to do. And did, did you know that the thing that sustained them along the way wasn't raw intelligence, It wasn't gifting, it wasn't talent, it wasn't who you know, it wasn't good looks, it wasn't any of the stuff that you can get some traction with. The one word description that they used was a word that we don't even throw around. And that word is grit. 
When's the last time you used grit in a conversation other than talking about a grit with your grits? Which we probably don't even have around here. I've never used grit in a conversation like that since forever. But grit kind of summarizes it well. It is a word that describes perseverance coupled with passion, coupled with follow-through, coupled with overcoming challenges along the way. It's this gritty desire to do whatever it is that's been put in front of you to do. Now, when I think of grit, I think of the beach and sand in my teeth. I think of gears turning with a bunch of debris in them. I think of a lot of really just unappealing situations. But it is a character quality that is essential for forward movement in the Christian faith. What the, the, the brain trust of, of people who are evaluating these things stumbled upon is something that God's been saying for the whole time that's necessary for you and I to stay the course. If you have your message notes, I, I want to explore a little bit about how Caleb and his situation applied that so that the dream that God had given him could come to fulfillment. And in the first part of it, of course, you see that when Caleb was told, uh, when Caleb and the spies went to the promised land, 45 years prior to what we're talking about today, they said, let's do it. But the downside was most people didn't have that same opinion. They were fearful that when they went into the promised land, the giants would just tear them up. And so they, they lost heart. They became very cowardly about the the idea of moving to that place in the process of fulfilling God's dream for them. But the second verse in there that you see on your message notes that I want to I put on the screen uh, is one that um, really sets the frame for what we're looking at today. So 45 years later, he was 40 when they initially looked at the, they, they did the survey, and God said after he was hugely disappointed by their lack of trust in him and confidence that they could overcome. God says, I'm just going to wait till they die. And he waited 40, 45 years, or 40 years rather, and so when, when they had passed away that generation of people and there were just the kids growing up in that, in that setting who would go into the promised land, Caleb and a contingent of people from the tribe of Judah went up to Joshua, who was now in charge because Moses is dead, and he said... We're ready to go. I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. Isn't that an incredible statement? Wouldn't you love to be able to say 85? Hey, feeling good. Feeling like I'm 40. I don't know if that's going to be an option for most of us. I'm sure for some that maybe is the case. But that's a rare breed. I would, however, say that the reason why he had that sense of vitality was because he had a lot of grit. He was tough as nails. And 45 years of waiting did nothing but toughen him up even more. It's almost like those people who are in prison, a lot of times you'll see the prison yard scenes and there'll be those guys over there and all they do is lift weights all day long. 
you know, and they come out of prison and they are just like built. And you're thinking, what have we created here? In some cases, sociopaths who are now very powerful. But Josh, or Caleb rather, looked at his 45 years as just conditioning. God's going to throw stuff at me while we're waiting. I'm going to condition. We're going to move on. And when we move on, we're going to be strong. And I suspect that most of us will never have that vitality. I know I sure won't. But there is sort of an ace in the hole for a believer. And it's in the next verse that we read in Ephesians 3.20 that's on your message notes as well. I'm not going to put it up there. But it just basically is Paul's affirmation that whenever we are called to do something, that God is actually working in us and through us and for us. And in describing that inner and, and outside presence of God in the equation, it changes things completely. And if God has given you a dream to do something for him, chances are he's trying to hone not only your vision of who he is and why it's important, but he's also going to take you through a process of conditioning yourself. And I don't think that's all bad. I mean, one of the reasons why we ask people to volunteer is because we know that that is a pretty important pathway for you to grow in your faith. You learn to trust God to not only free up the time and the resources in your own way to make it happen, you learn to trust God when in any community setting, sometimes it's not always going to go perfectly. And you learn to trust God to work it through. Sometimes when you serve, it just goes awesome. And sometimes when you serve, there's conflict. And in either case, God is always there to make it work. He's always there to work it together for good. And you start to see that and you start to see God in a little bit clearer way. And God is looking at you and I and he's saying, if I've called you to do something, don't lose heart because I'm going to be in there with you. Isn't that comforting? We don't have to face whatever we have to face in this life without his help. Isn't it assuring that if he calls us to do something, we have the promise of his presence? And if you look at the fulfillment of his promises throughout the storyline of the Bible that were fulfilled before Jesus came and when Jesus came, you know God's trustworthy. If he promised it, he'll do it. Well, I want to look at just four things that... Um, Caleb had, uh, that he had to sort of process through as he's um, preparing the way. And there were four important ways that I think are beneficial for you and I to see. Just to recap, God's dream for Caleb was the same dream that he had for everyone else. And that was that they would be united in their purpose in walking into this new land and, uh, and, and basically taking on their adversaries and then enjoying the blessing of all that it had to offer. Unfortunately, in that dream, Caleb was one of the few that really bought into it. But because he bought into it, he also, like any of us, when we buy into something, he also had to stick with it. And so it's great to sing in church and to be really just wowed by a worship experience. But then you wait a day or a month or a year and you ask yourself, is that dream or is that aspect of your walk with the Lord still as strong? And if you want to follow through on something, 
I don't think you have to look any farther than his life. And here's what he did. Here's how he took that element that is not really used much in conversation called grit. And he leveraged the things around him to make it happen. So here's the first one. And that is, he worked on keeping his family healthy in a toxic environment. I'm sure this doesn't relate to any of us, right? None of us have toxic environments that we're a part of. None of us have um, uh, perhaps people in our world that are basically either trying to lead us into things that aren't healthy or they are trying to maybe get us into a, a grumbling and complaining mentality. Or perhaps um, the toxic environment is just the fact that you have somebody who's heavy-handed in your world all the time and oppressing you in some way. And you could just go on and on with all the ways that dysfunctionality manifests itself and makes your life really very toxic. And Caleb was really no stranger. He was surrounded by people who did not buy into the vision. Matter of fact, they hated the vision. They hated Caleb for even mentioning it. And they were so against it that they threatened to kill Caleb and Joshua. They were completely toxic against these purposes. But why would anybody want to resist going into a place that would be so awesome as God described it? There's a one word phrase for this and it's one we all know. And it's fear. Fear is that nasty component that just comes in and diminishes all of our strength. It causes us to recoil from things that might harm us or hurt us. And God will oftentimes throw us in very fearful context that will require us to trust him. If he puts us there and it's scary... It basically means we need his help. And if he puts us in a toxic environment and it's hard, we really need his help. I don't think that Caleb's vision leaked out like an aquarium with a hole in it. Rather, I think it was always well plenished. There was a source from outside of that whole set of circumstances that he constantly tapped into. And you know what that source is? The Word of God. He just continually stayed connected to God through His Word. And he allowed that Word of the story of God that had been revealed up to that point to stay first and foremost. And if you're in a toxic environment every day, one of the things that keeps you from really being impacted by all of the negativity of it is to visit God's word every day and to talk to God in the process. I mean, my days always go better whenever I, whenever I, first thing I do before I even get out of bed, I pick up my iPhone and I look at the Bible and maybe read a chapter. And I'm like, God, okay, I've given you the very first and everything else stems from that. And I've had days where I've given him like the 10th and it hasn't always gone so well. Because other things clouded my vision and his vision leaked out. Caleb kept his bearings in that environment in a way that 
um, I think would be impossible without God's word and God's presence in the equation. Here, here's how bad it was. I'll show you from, um, from the story. Uh, in this text uh, from Numbers 14, 1 through 3, uh, this is whenever they received the word that the spies had delivered regarding the report on the promised land. And so that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we were to go back to Egypt? Now that complaint to me, would be a legitimate complaint if God wasn't factored into the equation. If God's clear promises were not factored into the equation. But because they were, that complaint says to me, they don't believe God's in the equation. They don't trust that God is going with them. And maybe we'll see where we're at on this. I want to show a graphic quickly. And I want you to tell me what you read. What's that say? Is God nowhere? Or God is now here? What do you think? Who's the expert here? Who can decipher that for us? If you're the Israelites, you're saying God is nowhere. If you are... And it could, it, could, it could say that just in a neutral situation like this. But if you're Caleb, you're saying, all I see is God is now here. He sees through the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith just pick out all the clues all around where God is. It's obvious. But the eyes of doubt and fear only see God nowhere. Caleb said, in order for this thing to get off the ground, God has to be everywhere. And as I look to see him everywhere, I find that he is. But I can't tell you pastorally how many times I've had people tell me, I just don't see God in my life anywhere. And I can't see God for them. All I can do is help them to develop eyes of faith that will give them a sense that God is with them. And even as I have conversations and I ask questions, I can actually help to bring to the surface, and you can too, where God has shown up, where God has blessed, where God has provided. Caleb's eyes of faith were tuned in such a way that he remained steadfast in his vision, and I think that really is the reason behind grit. Um, Angela Duckworth did a TED Talk, if you've ever heard of TED Talks. And I actually have it, but I'm not going to show it. Um, and she's from the University of Pennsylvania. She was a school teacher with elementary kids for a number of years. And she was trying to crack the code on why kids who were either from a whole range of intelligence and capability and talent, why kids weren't doing well. And she's the one who really tuned in on this concept of grit. As she did, she said, I, I understand that the gritty ones are the ones who do well, even if they're not high on the intel- as high on the intelligence list as everybody else. I understand that they're the ones who are able to follow through. 
But in her TED talk, she says, I really can't explain why. And I think as a believer, it's not too hard to fill in the gaps. That the why is because they have a vision for what they want and they are following through on it. And that vision said, I'm just reinforcing everything that I believe to begin with, with things that I'm seeing in everywhere around me. If Caleb had that vision and he kept it intact, he would see God everywhere. Here's the next thing that I want to just take a peek at. As the story unfolds, um, well, we have a passage from Romans 10. And, of course, I just want to thank you for putting that up. Uh, in Romans 10, 17, the reason why Caleb's faith was so strong, and I mentioned it earlier, was because he heard the word of God. He experienced the word of God. He lived out the story of the word of God. And when you hear it or you live it or you encounter it, it gives you those eyes. If you don't have eyes of faith and you start reading the Bible, believe me, you'll start to develop them. Here's the next thing. He engaged other people to collaborate in the vision. It would be nice to be with Caleb in that moment when the spies said, it's there, let's go take it. But Caleb also had the presence of mind to realize as he stepped back that he couldn't do it alone. And so he just shared the vision. He said, here's the vision. God's promised us this. Here we are in the desert. Sure, God's providing. Obviously, you know from the story, he's not going to just lead us here and then say, I'm done, when he's, so much, when he's so capable of leading us there, based on what he's already done. So he's gathering people around him, and he's saying, I can't do this alone, but we can do it. And a lot of people said, yeah, we can do it. And that's just a force multiplier. I mean, in in my environment, I I enjoy working with the team of people that I work with. Because we all believe that we are children of God. We're part of his family. We believe in his redemptive purpose. And we also believe that he has a purpose for us in this season. And um, that's his dream. And so we just try to walk into that. And when you work with other people in, in something, you find that you can get so much more accomplished. My kids are getting ready to go back to school, and I had a project I'm working on at, in the yard, and I'm sure they're always thrilled when I bring that up. But I know when they're here, it's a force multiplier because uh, what I would do with them would take me about an hour. What it would take for me to do it by myself would be an all-day thing. And when you engage other people in the vision, you just go that much faster towards its completion. Here's the third thing that Caleb saw as he engaged this cohort of people who were from uh, the tribe of Judah. Um, he engaged higher authorities for permission and blessing. If you're new to First Christian Church or the Christian faith, you're like I am. You, 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 you're born and raised and bred in a country that says, no one's going to tell me what to do. We may even go to work for an employer and still feel that resistance, like they're not really going to tell me what to do, and as soon as I can get out of here, I'm going to be out of here. We just don't like other people being in authority over us. It's just our makeup. We're rugged individualists in that way. But the fact is, in God's economy, he's God, we're not. He's a higher authority. We're sort of a lesser authority, but he's given us some authority as well. And Caleb went to Joshua with this contingent, and he asked for permission. He said, I know that you're the successor of Moses, 
And you're not going to help this thing be energized if uh, you're not in agreement with what we want to do. And so we're asking you to help. And even like in serving situations here, uh, one thing that you'll find most of the time is permission giving and blessing if it's tied, if there's something that God has given you a vision to do and is tied to his redemptive purpose, chances are God may be calling you to do that and we don't want to get into the way. But what we want to do on the level that, that we have in, in helping to manage the situation is to enable it to the degree that we can. And Caleb understood that he needed that enabling from Joshua and others that were basically in charge of the whole thing. And maybe the dream that God's giving you is one that you need to do in partnership with other people. Maybe other people who are in authority over you, or especially, specifically, God. Maybe we have a dream, but God hasn't been part of it up till now. And the dream's not going anywhere, because we haven't asked him to participate, and to lead, and to help, and to really shape the dream for what it needs to be. So if you have a vision or a goal for your life and you're keeping God out of it, well then it's just a story that is of your own working that isn't going to really in the end contribute any value to anything eternal. It'll just play itself out over time and that'll be it. But if what you're doing in your God dream is tagged to his redemptive purpose, then when we all stand before God in that great day, whenever everything's done, and we give an account, we can be with others and say, yeah, we were involved in helping this person or, or this aspect of your kingdom to, to come about. Not pridefully boasting, but rather taking pleasure in knowing that we were part of a great collaboration called being the people of the kingdom of God. So there's a lot of cool things that Caleb understood that no one else did. And so he tagged his purposes constantly to God's purposes. Here's the last thing. He understood the value of grit as a necessary ingredient for seeing the dream through. So we're just back where we started. 45 years to complete a dream. Where were you at 45 years ago? Some of you can't answer that question for obvious reasons. I was seven. If I was told at age seven that the dream that God has for you will be fulfilled in 45 years, that would have just been meaningless. But as we get older, God says, maybe it's going to just take a little bit more time than you think. Maybe my purposes are tagged to other things I've got going on. And when your time is ready, I'm going to, I'm going to, Basically say, it's on. Time to go. Whatever it is that God's doing in our lives, he wants us to stick to it. He wants us to persevere. But he also wants us to bring him into it so that the grit that we have isn't just our own, but it's a grit that comes from God. And maybe, maybe you've bounced from one thing to another to another looking for that one thing that was worth investing your life in. But you're in the back of your mind thinking, this will probably be no different. I'll be doing this for a while, then I'll be on to something else. And I would say this is the bottom line. 
The bottom line for my life and for my God dream, whether it's just to start with having me in a relationship with him through his son, whatever that dream is as it unfolds in time with him, the likelihood of it coming true corresponds directly to the strength of my ability to trust God along the way to see it through. If you don't trust God, it'll never happen. If you trust him at every turn to overcome, you will have the sufficient grit that you need to not only know the Lord and to be kept in his mighty power, but to walk into a purpose that's going to add value to things eternal. It's pretty exciting. For me, there's nothing else more important in the world to be a part of than that. But my path is different than yours, and God may be saying, on the path that I put you on, I want you to shape it by the values that I have according to my kingdom and my righteousness. The Lord's calling us to something incredible. And the last thing I'd want to see is for any of us to stand before him on that great day and him saying, I called you, but you didn't really seem interested. And if any of us can play a role in helping you hear him and act on what he's calling you to do, we want to do that.